This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-prong theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about pumping and breastfeeding and going back to work and how to make it all work so those that choose to continue to breastfeed have the support and knowledge to do so. So I have Nancy Maubacher with me, and she's an IBCLC, FILCA, which is Fellow of the International Lactation Consultant Association, and an author. And let me tell you a little bit more about Nancy. Nancy Mobacher, IBCLC, FILCA, and author of several books, including Breastfeeding Made Simple, Seven Natural Laws for Nursing Mothers, and Working and Breastfeeding Made Simple, fell in love with breastfeeding while nursing her three sons, Carl, Peter, and Ben, who are now grown. In 1982, before the lactation profession even existed, she began working as a volunteer mother support counselor and found her passion, helping women meet their breastfeeding goals. Board certified as lactation consultant in 1991, from 1993 to 2003, she started and grew a large private lactation practice in the Chicago area, where she saw thousands of families. Since then, she worked for a major breast pump company and a national corporate lactation program. Currently, she speaks at events around the world and contracts hospitals to help improve breastfeeding practices. Her mission is to simplify life for new parents, many of whom, without realizing it, make breastfeeding more more complicated than it needs to be. Hi, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Deb. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'd love to have you talk a little bit about how did you get started in this whole career of supporting women and breastfeeding? Well, I got started in much the same way that many people in my field got started, and that is I fell in love with breastfeeding when I breastfed my own children. I have three sons, who are now grown. Uh, and in fact, I started as a volunteer mother to mother support counselor back in the day before IBCLCs existed. So I've been at it for a while. That's great. And then you just continued and wanted to learn more and more and more. And yes. that led to your books. That's wonderful. Yes. yes. 
So I know as a mother who breastfed at work, and in fact, one time even during jury duty for two weeks, it is, it's a commitment and a process, you know, it's not something taken lightly. So how would you even start the idea of when a, a person's going back to work, how do they prepare to continue to breastfeed? I think the most important thing is to use whatever time you have on maternity leave to really get in sync with your baby and get breastfeeding off to a good start. The The best way to get a good milk production established is to just focus on the baby and respond to the baby's needs. I know a lot of mothers are tempted to do a lot of pumping right in the beginning, but there's going to be plenty of time for that. And also in the very beginning, in the first few weeks, you're just not going to get as much milk because your milk production is ramping ramping up during that time. So it's really a better investment to just breastfeed like crazy, which most newborns are happy to help you with. Um, And then just focus on your newborn and figuring out your newborn's feeding cues and all of that. So the more, more breastfeeding you do in the early weeks, the better. So what about the idea that one needs to start storing milk? So say someone mm-hmm. doesn't have that long of a, a maternity leave. I know some right. of our some of my students tell me just six weeks. When yes. would they start to go to the pumping and how much? Is there an, an, um, a kind of an ideal number of ounces we need to start someone off with? Well, I think the, the one thing to keep in mind is that ideally, once you're back at work, you're actually providing enough milk for your baby that they need for the next day. So you don't need a giant you know, reserve of milk, uh, just having enough for the first day that you're back at work and then a good, uh, you know, a little bit after, you know, that, that you might use in case of emergencies is a good game plan in general. So what I usually suggest is about three to four weeks before returning to work, mothers start uh, pumping and storing. And that would just involve one pump, which in most cases, now, you know, there are exceptions to every every sort of general guideline, but in general, most women get more milk first thing in the morning than they do later in the day. Mm-hmm. So what I usually suggest is that the first uh, feeding that you're up for the day, that you um, wait about a half an hour to an hour and then do a, a double pump. And if you're average, then you should expect to see about half a feeding. Uh, should I explain how to tell what is a full feeding and half a feeding? Yes, please do. <laughs> okay. Well, as I mentioned, in the first few weeks, babies actually need much less milk per feed than they will later. Excuse me a second. <coughs> Excuse me. And so when a baby's about three to four weeks old, then they start needing um, about the same amount that they'll need uh, actually all the way through about six months of age. So when you get to the three to four week period, a half a feeding is about an ounce and a half to two ounces. A full feeding is about uh, three to four ounces. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But then doesn't it drop um, once they start solids around six months? Right. That is correct. So a lot of moms don't realize this. They think that as their baby gets older, they're just going to keep needing more and more milk. But the fact is that at around four to five weeks, uh, baby's uh, need for milk uh, peaks and then plateaus for, as they say, about the first uh, six months or so. And then once solid foods are started, then their need for milk decreases as they begin to take more and more other foods. So 
if, if you're pumping at home and you get, let's say, a half an, an ounce and a half to two ounces, which by about three to four weeks, I would say would be pretty average, then you can combine batches from one day to the next. So the idea is to have batches that are about three to four ounces. If, if your baby's average, that would be about what they would take during a feeding. As I'm listening to this, I realize myself and several of my friends, we probably had more than we needed because, I mean, I had a freezer full and then our freezer got full and I actually Uh had to borrow space in my friend's freezer for breast milk. So in kind of hindsight, maybe I didn't need to go quite as crazy. Right. And I think that's that's a a good message to leave because I think a lot of mothers have, have a lot of anxiety around their milk store. You know, how much they, they set aside. You know, I've seen yeah. mothers who have their entire freezer. It's just bag after bag after bag after bag. Um, and usually that's not necessary. A lot of times these moms end up donating their milk to milk and banks I did that. or, or I, to other mothers. So I did that. Yeah, I ended up having right. so much. Um, right. So, but hopefully that's going to decrease anxiety levels in a lot of moms because you really don't need all that much milk. I mean, there might be a day when you're back at work that uh, – you know, you have issues like, for example, if you forget to put your milk in the refrigerator when you get home, or let's say you accidentally spill some milk. I mean, that's a horrible moment when yes. it happens. But, but that's when you want to have some milk in your freezer, but you don't really need a huge amount. What about, I'm kind of fast forwarding a little over the idea of work, but we'll get there. But uh-huh. there is a point where, where milk supply in the mom will start to decrease. So it, does that tend to coincide with what the baby needs or, and then is it helpful to have all that extra milk? Well, if all is going well, uh, then the, the mother's milk production should be on par with what the baby needs. But there are, I think, some misconceptions about how all this works. Um, one of the things that I think is important to realize is when you're on maternity leave, right before you go back to work, kind of take note of how many times in a 24-hour day your baby's breastfeeding, because uh, that can give you a clue to something that I call a magic number. Um, and what the magic number is, it's the number of milk removals per day that's needed to keep milk production stable. Now, there's actually what, there's what I call three levels of milk production. One is an increase level. And you see mother's milk production increasing over the first four to five weeks, you know, if a baby's allowed to breastfeed on cue and self-regulate that. Um, you know, when you get to that place at four to five weeks where the milk production plateaus, um, that's when, you know, if you keep up to your magic number each day, then you're going to be at a maintenance level. Uh, Once you go below the magic number, though, you may see a decrease. And what I've seen in a lot of the women that I've spoken to who are back at work is they're very focused on getting in enough pumps at work. So they'll do, let's say they do two or three pump sessions at work if they're working a full day. But sometimes what happens is because we've just come out of a generation where bottle feeding is the norm, where formula feeding is the norm, many people compare like what their formula feeding neighbors are doing and they think, oh, maybe my baby doesn't need to feed so many times a day. Because when a baby is strictly bottle fed formula, often what they do is they they do overfeed. That's a big risk with bottle feeding. And the baby takes like these giant bottles, like seven or eight ounces Mm -hmm. of milk. And they feed many fewer times a day, um, but that isn't actually normal for a breastfeeding baby. And so 
you can't really gauge what's right for a breastfeeding family by comparing it with a formula feeding family. So I think that's important to know. So sometimes mothers assume that as their babies get older, they really don't need to feed as many times a day, but that is a bottle feeding norm. That is not a breastfeeding norm. So understanding what your magic number is, I think is very, very helpful. And for most women, it's somewhere between five or six up through eight times a day. So it depends. And the, the, a person's magic number varies depending on something that we call breast storage capacity. And I'll just say a couple words about what that is. That's a physical difference among, among women. And it, it refers to the amount of room in your glandular tissue. The glandular tissue is the tissue that actually produces the milk. So that would be like your, um, your, the alveoli or like the grape like, um, uh, areas in the breast where the milk is produced. It goes through the ducts and all, all of that is included in the glandular tissue. However, breast size is determined primarily by fatty tissue. So you can't necessarily tell what your breast storage capacity is by the size of your, your breasts. Mm -hmm. So what, how you would know is, uh, like for example, if you've ever had a pump session, that's more than about, seven or eight ounces, you're definitely a woman who has a large storage capacity. Um, if I would say average is more like five or six. And there are some women, I've met women who say that never, even at their fullest, are they able to express more than two to three ounces of milk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, I think this is important. I think a lot yeah. of women, and I put myself in this category. I was very getting, I was very obsessed with the the amount in each bottle. And in right. the beginning, probably the first six months, I was definitely an over producer. I was, especially in the morning, I was getting like five or six ounces per breast. But then, wow. I don't that's, know, a, that's a large storage capacity. It was, for sure. yeah, it was a little crazy, and I was kind of I was getting a little competitive with myself. I'm like, oh, go, look at go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then around six, seven, eight months. And I've had this conversation with many women, especially if the menstrual cycle starts up again, watching that drop, it created quite a bit of anxiety. And I've, you know, many of my friends are like, how do we keep it going? We were drinking teas and having lactation cookies. And, but hearing you saying like, maybe it is only two to four ounces instead of, you know, combined instead of per bottle, that makes, that makes a difference. It does. And I think the other thing that's good to keep in mind is that it's not actually good for babies to have giant bottles of milk when they're fed. And in fact, we we have quite a bit of research to show that babies who are bottle fed, and this would include babies who are fed mother's milk from a bottle, actually are at great risk of overfeeding and that increases risk of obesity. And Mm -hmm. so one of the, the, the suggestions that I give is for mothers to pace feedings. Is that something you ever did? I don't think so because I just kind of fed when, um, when they were hungry and then I left milk and I think it was like every three ish hours we always fed on cue. So we didn't, uh-huh. I don't, can you explain pace feeding? Cause I don't think yeah. I did that. Let's see if I, I don't think I have my doll handy, but <laughs> essentially pacing and it, it refers to how the feeding is done rather than 
how often it's done. Okay. So typically what you do is you set a baby in a more upright, sort of a semi-sitting position, and you hold the bottle horizontally. So you wait until the baby, you tap the baby's lips until they open wide, wait until they open wide, you know, introduce the bottle nipple there so that the baby's lips close on the base of the nipple. And then rather than having the baby on their back, because when you have that, and that's sort of the traditional bottle feeding position, when the baby's on their back and the bottle's at sort of a 45 degree angle, then the, the milk flows very fast and very consistently. Oh, I see even what you're a, saying. Okay. Yeah. Even with a very slow flow nipple, sometimes that can happen. So what we suggest is sitting the baby more upright. And then after every few sucks, tip down the end of the bottle so that the, they get a breathing break. So in other words, when you do the pacing and when you do a bottle feeding this way, it should take about 15 to 30 minutes to do a bottle feeding rather than having it be very, very fast. Because babies, just like adults, if they if you eat too quickly, that overrides your appetite control mechanism. And so you don't realize you're overfeeding until it's too late, until you're already there. So when a mother's at work, this is actually a big thing because Obviously, you don't want the baby taking way more milk when you're at work than is necessary. Um, so pacing makes bottle feeding more like breastfeeding. Because if you think about what happens during a breastfeeding, the um, the breasts, you know, you have your milk ejection or letdown. Uh, typically, women have between about, usually about five or so letdowns during a feeding. So during that period, the milk is flowing very fast, but then there are break periods too, where the milk is flowing slower. Mm -hmm. So you go between fast and slow, you alternate. And that actually helps babies feel full with less milk. And that's why many babies are really very happy with three to four ounces when they're at the breast. But from a bottle, they might take way more milk than that. So if uh, I actually have a handout on my website, a free downloadable handout that mothers can give to their caregivers that explains pacing and how to do it and has pictures and such. Well, that's what uh, I was thinking. Because when you asked about pace feeding and I realized I actually never fed my kids from a bottle because I always Uh gave them the boobs. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) So I'm like, I don't know that. But as I'm listening to I'm like, oh, this is something that moms need to tell their, you know, their partners or their, or their care providers, who's going to be the one actually with the bottle. Um, as I mentioned, kind of the lactation teas and cookies, what are your thoughts on those? Do they actually help supply? We don't really have any evidence to show that they do help supply. And, you know, this kind of goes into the area that, that I see a lot, which is Sometimes I think women get over-focused on the wrong things when it comes to milk production. There's a lot of confusion, I think, about what does make a difference. And so the the most important thing is how many times a day a woman is either breastfeeding or pumping, and of course, how effectively they're pumping. So the more times a day your breasts are drained really well, the more it sends the signal to your body to make more milk. So that's it's a really fairly simple equation. But, but another aspect of that, and I... I did send you a link to a blog post I have on something called hands-on pumping is making sure that the pumping is effective as well. Because it used to be for many years, we thought all a woman has to do is just put the pump to her breasts and let it work. And then she's done and that's it. But we actually have quite a bit of really good research to show that when a woman uses her hands as well as her pump to help express milk, it makes a huge difference. In fact, on average, women who use this hands-on pumping technique are able to get milk yields of about 50% more than women who just use the pump alone. So So, can you explain that a little more? So you're saying it's not hand expressing, but it's massaging the breast as they're pumping? 
There are actually five steps to okay. hands-on pumping. The first one is to do breast massage. Okay. So you, you first take a few minutes to do that. And then after that, you do ideally double pumping. But while you're double pumping, some women can do double pumping by using their arm, you know, to kind of hold both units on their breast. Or some women have the hands I have a little prop that was, yeah. <laughs> right, with the buttonholes in it, right? Yeah. That's another option. But using your hands during that period to be compressing and massaging um, because sometimes there's areas you can feel in the breast that feel uh, a little firmer or harder and you can massage that out while you're pumping. And then the third step is once you feel like you know the milk flow is really slowed down with the double pumping, then you take the pump off and then you do more massage. So there's another massage portion of it. And then the last step is to go back and forth from breast to breast, focusing on one breast at a time. Um, and different women find that different strategies work best for them. Like, for example, some women do better if they're single pumping. So they'll set their pump up for single pumping, and then they'll do very concentrated massage and compression on the one breast. You know, give that maybe three or four minutes, you know, until they see the flow slow down, and then go to the other breast. And they just keep going back and forth doing this over and over until they're done. Um, Some women actually find they get more milk if they do hand expression into the the breast flange. So whether it's single pumping or hand expression, you know, each woman needs to experiment and see which works better for her. But in the link that I'm sending you, there are also links to videos that show women doing this hands-on pumping so you could see it in action. That's fantastic. I had never heard of that. And I think it uh-huh. would have, yeah, I love, I love learning That's new good. stuff. Um, I think this is going to help a lot of women you know, thinking back of the anxiety I had of like, where's my supply going? And I was right. drinking all these teas, but knowing that just, you know, through massage and slowing down and really observing what's working yeah. for my body, what works for someone else may not work for mine. So taking that time to explore and experiment and not, not let the stress of like, oh gosh, I'm not getting enough milk. Right. So thank right. you. And I'll make sure that we put that on our show notes. All right. So okay, kind of going welcome. back to the idea of work, what mm-hmm. are some of the common problems that you see people run into when returning to work and pumping? Well, you know, a lot of it depends on what sort of a job a mother has. And if she's in an office setting, that's going to be for most people. Most women, it's going to be the the ideal setting to to arrange for pumping. There are many companies these days. I know you're in New York City, so Mm -hmm. there's probably many large companies there who actually have corporate lactation programs and they have a pumping room or or they have special places where mothers can go. Um, Low-income mothers, though, uh, we do have a law, the Nursing Mothers in the Workplace Act, that mandates that that employers uh, must provide time and a place to pump. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean paid time, but they let, let's say a, a woman is working an eight-hour day. You know, She can ask for two to three pump sessions, and she must be given a break to do that at least two to three times a day. Now, if she's a, a, you know, a part-time worker, you know, that might be a different story. Uh, you mentioned that many women go back to work at six weeks, but I read a statistic that I found really horrifying, and that was in the United States today – about 25% or one out of every four women are going back to work within the first two weeks after giving Oh, my giving gosh. Birth. I know. Isn't that horrible? And there are many families where that just, they don't have a choice. You know, they might have a couple different part-time jobs. They may be the only uh, support of the family. 
life can be really, really difficult when you're in a situation like that. So, you know, in, in a case like that, if you have to go back before six weeks, it does make it more tricky because, you know, as I mentioned, milk production is usually fairly well established by about four to five weeks, which is a tremendous advantage for a woman who's going back at six weeks. Mm -hmm. But if you're going back before then, then it does involve more intense pumping when you're away from the baby and more intense breastfeeding when you're home. So is there a certain type of pump that you like that's the most effective? The, I give very general recommendations when okay. it comes to what to look for in a pump because the marketplace is always changing. Right. But there are certain things that I think are important to look for in a pump. One is if you're going to be using a pump every day, which I think a woman who's going back to work typically is, um, you want to get one that has a one-year warranty on the motor. That will tell you if that pump is going to last. So I think that's a, that's a plus. Um, another one is, you know, the hole that your nipple fits into, most pumps are, it's made of a hard plastic. You want to find a pump brand that offers different fit options because you can get them with different sizes of nipple tunnels. And if you're a woman um, whose nipples are a little larger than the tunnel that she's pumping into, that's a problem because then your nipples can be rubbing on the sides. Not only can that be painful and cause trauma, but it's squeezing the nipple, and that prevents the milk from coming out. So talk about being self-defeating. So getting a brand that has multiple sizes of the nipple tunnel I think is a really good good thing. And some of the really expensive new pumps that are out there, because they are brand new, don't have more than one. So I think that's – even if you have a lot of money and you want to get, like, quote, unquote, the best, mm -hmm. you don't want to get a pump that's going to have – too small of a nipple tunnel. And what happens, and a lot of women don't know this, is even if you have a good fit at the beginning, typically nipples expand. So you want to have another size you could expand into as you go along. Um, another thing that I suggest uh, is a good idea in a pump is to have separate suction and speed controls, or you, they are called vacuum and cycling also. Because what the research has shown us about breast pumps is about half of women actually can get milk with any pump, with any sorts of settings, and it works really well for them, but half of them can't. And they, it's really helpful to be able to customize it. If you happen to be in that half of women who, uh, whose body is a little bit more persnickety when it comes to how it responds to a pump, then you want to have a pump that you really you can adjust uh, to your own body's response. So I, I like those that have separate suction and speed or vacuum and cycling. Controls. Well, how would someone know which side they're in if it's about 50-50? You wouldn't know. And that's the problem because pumps are tend to be expensive. Now, of course, yeah. if you're getting it through your insurance, that's not necessarily the case, but you only get one pump through insurance with each baby. So um, that's why I think it's good to get the separate controls because there are some major brands out there. Medela is one that everybody knows that, and their pumps are made with one dial. They don't have two dials. And so if you happen to be in that average category where your body responds to everything, that works great for you. But if you're not and you don't know that ahead of time, then you might have issues with getting a really good response to that, those pumps. What about just trying to set up um, a routine at work? So someone's trying uh -huh. to figure out like, okay, every three hours I'm pumping. Uh -huh. What else can they do besides thinking about that? Like, do you recommend, okay. as mentioned, multiple pumps? Um, okay extra parts? How can someone yeah. set themselves up for the best success? Okay. Um, well, I think the first thing to know is when I talk about the magic number, I'm talking about a 24-hour day. 
So, for example, if you're in a situation where really you can only pump once a day, and there are many women like who work as waitresses or you know they, they, different kinds of jobs where really only once a day is possible, keep in mind that in order to keep your magic number steady, you can breastfeed like crazy when you're home and still reach your magic number. So even if you're limited in terms of how much you can pump at work, that's still possible to make it work. That's why the magic number, I think, is such a great thing to be aware of. Um, but as far as at work, yeah, I, I usually recommend that women get some extra pump parts. Uh, you don't have to buy a whole kit. The, the kit is the whole thing with the tubing and everything that attaches to the motor. You can just get certain pieces. Those pieces that need to be washed each time, you know, most pumps do come with extra bottles, for example, so you don't have to buy those. But, you know, certain pieces, depending on the brand you get, uh, if you just get enough for the number of times that you're pumping at work, then you don't have to wash them at all. You could just put them in a bag of dirty pump pieces and wash them when you get home, maybe just even put them in the dishwasher. So I think that's a really good strategy for many moms is just to get enough extra parts so they don't have to worry about washing them at work. Yeah, or forgetting them. Um, or yeah, or forgetting. I, them. I had some that. extra ones in your desk drawer <laughs> if you have a desk. Yeah, I had that a few times. I would every morning I would set up my little what I take to work. I'd have my pumps, my extra, you know, my pieces, my extra bottles. But I had the actual pump at work. But I had to take uh-huh. the other stuff. And there was times I opened up my little bag of stuff and I forgot like those little white flaps that go right. Like, and that I then are responsible for the suction of your pump. And yeah. then what did you do? So what did you do? <laughs> um, well. Being in New York City on the Upper West Side, we actually had a store two blocks away called uh, the Upper Breast Side, which was... Uh, uh, yes, I've actually been in that store. So yeah, I hear you. So very I was good. Very, lucky you. <laughs> I, I mean, it was lucky because, uh-huh. you know, what if you're a mom that that's not yeah. a... Pop- I guess then you hand express because you have your hands. Um, well, you, if, you, if you've learned how, that is a learned skill. And, and some women actually do quite well with that. But if you haven't ever done it before, you might be challenged. Yeah, but there's a scary moment where you think you set yourself up and then you open up to pump and you're like, I forgot a vital part. Um, So I like your idea of keeping extra parts at work because that's yeah. that helps the again the anxiety around all of this um yeah, what but, other but yeah I was gonna say when I was in private practice I got a call one day from a mother who was in town on a business trip and the hotel maid had thrown away all of her little rubbery parts on her pump and so the hotel uh, as a way to try to make it up to her sent a taxi driver over to my office to pick them up for her <laughs> That's great. I do love everything about the magic number about if you do have a a job that you can only pump, you know, once a day that it does, it's not going to throw you off. Cause I know a lot of women that really want to continue breastfeeding, they start work and they feel so defeated. They're like, how am I going to fit this all in? Are there any other special tips you think women should consider when going back to work? Is it a conversation they should have with their, their management or HR about setting themselves up? What else do you think is important? Well, I think when a when a woman finds out that she's pregnant, um, it is a good idea to just ask coworkers first of all. You know, have they ever breastfed uh, while working there? You know, is there a lactation program? I think doing a little reconnaissance like that is a good good first step. And then, yeah, then go to HR and say, you know, what kind of arrangements have already been made? Because there's a lot of places where other women have already laid the groundwork for you. And so I think it's helpful first to check and see, you know, what there is available in your company. Uh, If you happen to be the pioneer, you know, there are a lot of good resources that are out there. Uh, The U.S. uh, 
uh, government has a bunch of things, and I'll send links to those too. For example, there's a website that you can put in what type of industry you're in, and you can come up with short videos of people in that industry talking about how they were able to make accommodations for breastfeeding mothers. These are things you can share with your company. So there, there are a lot of good resources out there. Um, but if you are a pioneer, know that we do have the Nursing Mothers in the Workplace Act, and so you know that it's it is a it's a good time in general for breastfeeding. Um, but you know, if you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're just not able to get what you need, you know, there always is the option of perhaps finding another job somewhere that's a little bit more breastfeeding friendly too. If that's possible. Yeah, that might be it. That's a tough thing for some people. Be like, okay, yeah, I'm no, breastfeed, I but, and I like my job. But how do I? How do I do that? Do you have any yeah. final tips for either new or expectant moms from all your years of working in the breastfeeding world and and pumping and just I mean, your books are fantastic and all the stuff you've done. Well, I, to me, I think the most important thing to keep in mind that is that milk production, which is usually central to women's anxiety, is really all about this 24-hour total of the number of times a day you remove the milk. That, you know, if there is a certain time of the day where it's really impossible, that doesn't mean you can't work it out. Uh, and again, keep in mind that bottle feeding and breastfeeding norms are very different. So sometimes the assumptions that we make about how all this works may be based on bottle feeding, if that's what we grew up with. Um, and just to, to look into it a little more, that's one of the reasons that I wrote my book, Breast, Working in Breastfeeding Made Simple, because there are so many misconceptions. I just want to make sure that every woman is starting with a basis of, of reliable knowledge on this area. What do you think the biggest misconception is from all your research and talking with women? I think the biggest misconceptions are around milk production and how it works and what women can do because oftentimes I find women are spinning their wheels. They're doing all these things they think are going to help their milk production, but they're not things that do help. For example, their diets, you know, trying to eat a perfect diet or how much sleep they get or how much they're drinking. I mean, a lot of women are surprised to know that drinking water or any other liquids really has no effect on milk production. Really? So often, yeah. Oftentimes, I was always told things. we have to hydrate well. Well, I think hydrating is always a good idea. You know, all of those things are actually good for women. Uh-huh. You want to have a, a healthy diet so yes. that you have good resistance to illness. Your energy is up. You know, same thing with sleep. You want to get sleep. Um, and being hydrated is excellent. But none of those things are actually related to milk production. And that's where I think a lot of women, they kind of go down that path, not realizing that there's other things they could be doing that would have an effect. And so they'll... They'll call someone like me and say, I've tried everything. You know, I've, I'm drinking all this water. I've eaten my diet, my sleep. And, and yet the things that they've tried aren't really the things that are going to make the difference. Are there actual things like I remember um, reading about fenugreek being mm-hmm. helpful. Are these just right. old wives tales or is there actual some data that supports it? Well, here's what I find now. Fenugreek is something that's been used traditionally in many cultures. Egypt is one where, you know, women have been given fenugreek. And there's other herbs that, you know, are used in other cultures. What I often find is I'll get a call from a mother who says, you know, I'm taking fenugreek and it's not helping my milk production. And I'll say, well, how many times a day are you removing the milk? And she'll say four. Now, four for most mothers is a decrease level 
you know, of milk removals. And so here's someone who's, you know, on the one hand taking all this fenugreek and on the other hand, she's not removing the milk enough times a day it, to see any increase whatsoever. So the, the, I think the, the hazard of sometimes using those things is you lose sight of what's really important. I think if a woman is doing all, all of the things she needs to do to boost milk production and then maybe adds in something like that, that can be helpful. But that's not usually the way uh, the women I talk to are using it. They think it's like a magic bullet. Right. And all they have to do is do that, and now suddenly they're going to make all this milk. So I think understanding how milk production really works is the key. Yeah, I think that was uh, definitely something a lot of people don't consider. They're, you know, Their milk yeah. supply is going low. What can I take? Right. What can I drink? What else can I right. do? Instead of like, oh, right. I need to pump more. So I'm really glad you said well, that because I'm hoping this... Not necessarily. This... Sometimes all you need to do is breastfeed more when you're with your baby. Mm-hmm. So... So it's emptying the breast. Emptying the so breast I worked, is. I worked for two years with a corporate lactation program, and believe me, I know if you tell mothers they need to pump more, that's going to turn a lot of people off, and they're going to say, "Well, never mind then," because nobody really enjoys pumping. But if you explain to them that they can actually breastfeed more when they're with their baby, yeah. and they don't have to pump more, then that's a huge difference, you know, as far as if it sounds acceptable or not. Well, what if the baby's starting to push the breast away? What if you're trying to breastfeed to get more of that time in, but baby's actually not hungry? Well, I would say in most cases, like if there is an issue with milk production, the first thing I would look at is how is the baby being fed at, at childcare? Because when a childcare provider is not pacing feedings and the baby's overfed there, they're not going to be interested in feeding. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing is you want to bring down the amount of milk that the baby's getting at daycare and bring up the amount of milk they're getting when they're home. That's going to make the mother's life a huge amount easier. I mean, she's going to, that'll take the pressure off. If the baby could be fed, some women have told me when they use pacing, the baby takes half as much milk at daycare as they used to. And now the baby is interested in feeding when they're home. So you have to get the right balance between those things. That is fantastic. I never heard that. And I hope that people can hear this and take again some of the anxiety off. So where can people find out more about you? And do you want to talk a little bit about your books? Sure, I'd be glad to. I actually have a copy of, this is the one that relates to the topic that we're discussing today, Working and Breastfeeding Made Simple. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really covers just about everything I think a woman who's going back to work needs to know. How do you pick a bottle? When do you start it? Uh, what do you need to know about pumping? What do you need to know during maternity leave? You know, one of the things I discourage in here is trying to build an oversupply because I go into some, some of the downsides of producing way too much milk. A lot of times you do like you, you've, the way you described yours, you, you, uh, reflected a certain feeling of accomplishment, you know, <laughs> wanting to keep it going, but there really are downsides as well. Um, but, but also not just that, but how do you manage sleep? With a breastfeeding baby, how do you wean when the time comes? What do you expect in the second six months? What if you can keep it going? You know, all, basically everything you need to need to know about working in breastfeeding. I tried to include in that book, so uh, so that would be a good one if that's the issue. But you know, I have written other books. I've written a book called Breastfeeding Made Simple: Seven Natural Laws for Nursing Mothers. I wrote that with uh, Kathleen Kendall Tackett, and that's that's your basic breastfeeding guide, you know, and what to expect at each stage. Uh, and then I've also written a small book for, for parents called Breastfeeding Solutions, which is my tiny troubleshooting guide. Um, that I turned into an app. 
So I would like to plug my app because yeah. I just, as a matter of fact, there's a research group in Australia who did a study on my app that has not yet been published. So I can't tell you too much about it, but suffice it to say, the women who were using the app had a much higher success rate with breastfeeding than the ones who were than the, the general population. So it's called it's also called Breastfeeding Solutions, and it's available in the App Store and it, uh, through Google Play. So that's a, a I put that together as a resource uh, to answer all the, the common questions about breastfeeding and milk production. Now, this is great. You, you'd kind of blow my mind up with some of these things, and you're absolutely right. I was very competitive with how much. Like, yes. like yeah, look at that going, and yeah. then down on one not. But again, I don't think I'm, I don't think, the reason I'm putting it out there is because I don't think I'm alone in this. I think no, many I, women get like that. Alone. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you on that. Uh, but I think it's good to know, you know, the the that that's my role. I feel is to tell every woman the pluses and minuses of what's going on, and then it's her choice. You know, yeah. if you get a great feeling about it and you want to keep going, that's fine. But there's a lot of women, for example, who have recurring cases of mastitis, which can be very painful yeah. because they are producing so much more milk than their baby actually takes, and sometimes the babies really struggle with feedings because the milk is coming so fast. And there's so much of it that breastfeeding isn't as enjoyable as it could be otherwise. So I, you know, it's not my place to tell anybody how to, how they should run their life. But I feel like my role is really just to make sure that you know everything you need to know to make an informed decision. Yeah, and had I known this, and now hopefully as a community, <laughs> and that's why I say like, you know, yeah. I put myself out there with like all my craziness so that other people can learn that. All right, let's not get obsessed about and I think it's so easy in our culture to, you know, judge ourselves and against others and stuff. It but is. to look and be like, All right, I don't need <laughs> to fill the bottle. It's okay to have yes. half. So, you know, had yeah. I known this earlier and now that other people in the community hopefully realize that it just helps take the pressure off and be like, this is what my body can do. And then be proud of what our body can do instead of get sad of what it's not doing. Yeah. I I feel like my role is to help put put women in the driver's seat of their own experience because so many women who call me, they really are so confused about how all this works and that, you know, they see, for example, milk production is something that's either delivered to them from on high or it isn't. Mm -hmm. And they just don't feel like there's, they feel helpless and they feel frustrated and anxious and they just understanding how it works and seeing how, you know, just a few changes in what they're doing can make a difference can oftentimes really lower the anxiety level in new mothers, which I, I love that. I mean, I feel like my role in life is to try to simplify life for new mothers, you know, to help them know what is important to focus on and what they can ignore, you know, and, and just to try to make their lives easier. That's, that's the way I see it. I a hundred percent agree. And anything that can make that transition to motherhood easier, even if it's their second, third, fourth baby, because it's still a new child and they just gave birth, however it was. So anything to make it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you think, Oh, I'm this experienced mom. And I know exactly what to do. And then you get this baby who's like, no, no, that's not the way I want to do things. Oh, yeah. My two kids were dramatically different. And, and you know, I, I came in like, oh, I breastfed my first for 18 months. This should be a snap. And then I'm like, I forgot what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. You're not alone. <laughs> believe me, Deb. <laughs> well, thank you for your time and your knowledge and for sharing all this with my community. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.